Well, today is the 21st of November, which means there are only 10 days, not until Christmas, we're not, we're not there yet, thank goodness, but 10 days until the start of meteorological winter, which is on the 1st of December. And that means that it will be dark at 4 p.m. and it'll be freezing cold for the next three months at least. <laughs> Happy days. Excellent. Thanks, Anna. <laughs> I wonder where you would spend winter if you could spend it anywhere you wanted away from the cold and the dark. If you had a, a choice, think, yeah, where could I go just to escape all the darkness and the cold and the damp of the northeast? You know, when you live in the northeast of England, and I love, I wouldn't live anywhere else at all. You couldn't pay me to live anywhere else, but, although some of you might want to pay me to live somewhere else, but <laughs> I wouldn't live anywhere else. But if you could spend your winter somewhere else, in the northeast of England where it gets dark at four in the winter and it's freezing cold, then the idea of maybe of spending December through to February in somewhere like the Canary Islands or the Caribbean or the Maldives or maybe even Hawaii, it's really quite appealing, isn't it? Maybe as you're looking at those photos, you think, oh, well, yeah, I could, I could kind of do that for the next three months. I, I guess somewhere like that would, would be pretty high on lots of our list. It probably would be mine. It's quite an appealing thought, isn't it? To winter somewhere nice, to winter somewhere nice and sunny and to soak up the sun. According to the book of Titus in the New Testament of the Bible, which we've been studying over the last few weeks here at, at Regent, Paul, who was one of the main church leaders in the first century, wrote lots of the New Testament and including the book of Titus, this letter that we're studying together. Paul spent a winter in a place called Nicopolis. He talks about wintering there. And he, he spent winter in this place called Nicopolis on the west coast of Greece, a place which is now called Provetsa. You can go and visit it. That's it. Looks lovely, doesn't it? That looks like a lovely place to winter. What a, what a, that's a difficult gig, isn't it? I'm going to go and winter in Provetsa. But appearances can be deceptive because actually the average temperature in the winter in Provetsa is only uh, eight or nine degrees. So actually it's not quite the kind of gig that it, it, it looks. It looks lovely. I'm sure it is lovely, but it's not uh, the big sort of sunny warm place that you might think in the winter. So clearly when Paul writes about wintering in Nicopolis or, or, or Provetsa, he wasn't looking at it from the point of view of soaking up the sun and just enjoying a nice Mediterranean uh, winter. That, that wasn't what he was doing. Actually, Paul's reason for spending the winter there was so that he could uh, use Nicopolis as a base to spread the good news about Jesus, what we call the gospel. For, for Paul, everything in life was about serving God and spreading the good news about Jesus, what we call the gospel, this package of good news. The word gospel simply means good news. And over the last few weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Titus, which was a letter that Paul wrote to this guy, Titus. Titus was uh, leading and kind of overseeing the churches that had been started there in Crete. And today we've reached the last few lines. We're going to be finishing this morning the last few lines of Paul's letter. But before we get to the end of the letter, let's go back to the very first letter or, or the very first lines in this letter that Paul writes to Titus. This is what he starts his letter with. Paul begins his letter with these words, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. For Paul, everything was about being a servant of God. Everything was about serving God and everything was about Jesus. Paul was an apostle of of Jesus Christ. The word apostle literally means a sent one. In other words, a, a special a special messenger. It's difficult to say that. A special messenger from Jesus with a special message. And that special message was the good news about Jesus, the gospel. We don't know where Paul was when he wrote this letter to Titus, but what we do know was that he was planning to winter or spend his winter 
in Nicopolis in Western Greece. He was heading there. He's going to spend the winter there not to kind of soak up the sun and, and sun himself on the beach, but so that along with the rest of his missionary team, he could spread the good news about Jesus in that region. And as he prepared for the next phase of his work, which was to preach the gospel around Nicopolis and beyond, he wanted Titus to come and join him and be with him because he really valued Titus's help. Paul had written his letter to Titus, which contained all sorts of instructions for him and for the churches there in Crete and by the, the miracle of the Holy Spirit for us today, as, as God has preserved it in the Bible for us. But, but once Titus had received this letter, Paul wanted him then to implement what he'd said and then to hand the leadership of the churches there in Crete over to these elders that had been appointed, that he tells them to appoint, and then come and join him in Nicopolis for the winter at least. So we're going to read these last few lines of Paul's letter to Titus, which contains this request for Titus to come on over from Crete, come and join him on mainland Greece. We're going to focus today on uh, Titus chapter 3, 12 to 15, which is this final section of Paul's letter. But to put verses 12 to 15 in context, I want to read some of the other verses of this letter. And we're going to specifically read the verses where Paul focuses on the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Because for Paul, everything was about Jesus and the good news that, that Jesus had come. Everything was about telling other people about this amazing good news about Jesus, about his life, his death, his resurrection, and the fact that we can have our sins forgiven, have a relationship with God, and have eternal life. So we're going to read firstly, before we get to, the, to our main passage this morning, if you've got a Bible and you want to turn with me, you can do, or you can just listen, whatever you're comfortable doing. We're going to read firstly chapter 1, 1 to 4, uh, and then we're going to go on to chapter 2 and, and so on, and the the, the the uh, passages are up there on the screen for you. So this is what Paul begins his letter with. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And then down to chapter 2, verse 11 uh, to 14. And so he continues, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And then chapter 3, verses 3 to 8. So he continues, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And then that brings us to our passage today. And so let's drop down to verse 12, to the end of this letter. And he says this, As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me, at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. 
Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So, so Paul was about to send this letter to Titus with either Artemis or a guy called Tychicus. And maybe it was with uh, both of them together would end up doing it. At the point of writing, Paul didn't know who he was going to send and who was going to be available to go. He says this in verse 12. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. We don't know anything about Artemis. He's only mentioned here in the Bible. Tychicus is actually mentioned quite a little bit uh, or quite a lot in the New Testament. And I put the other references to Tychicus, if you want to follow that up in your own time, on your outline. By the way, there should be an outline on your seat or near you. And all the verses that we're looking at today are on that outline, and there's some things there to you, for you to write down if you want to do that, if you find that helpful. Tychicus was one of Paul's really close co-workers, and amongst other things, he was the messenger that took Paul's letter to Ephesus and to Colossae, the, the letters of Ephesians and Colossians. But, and so now he was probably about to take this letter to Titus. But once Titus had received Paul's letter via Tychicus and had appointed elders, as we uh, read in, in chapter 1 and 2, uh, in, in all these churches and had passed on the contents and the instructions of this letter, Paul then wanted Titus to do his best to leave Crete and to come on over to Nicopolis in mainland Greece and join him there and help him there in the work of spreading the good news about Jesus. But before Titus left Crete, Paul wanted him to make sure that the churches in Crete helped and provided for two other really important Christian workers, a man called Zenos and a man called Apollos. In verse 13, Paul says to Titus, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything that they need. Again, we don't know anything about Zenos. He's only mentioned here. But Apollos is mentioned quite a few times in the New Testament. I've put the other references to him as well on your outline. Apollos was a preacher and a teacher and one of the key leaders in the New Testament era alongside Paul and, 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 and Peter, the apostle Peter and so on. And, and these two men, Zenos and Apollos, had obviously been in Crete working alongside Titus, preaching and teaching about Jesus. But now they had reached the end of their kind of stint there and they were heading off somewhere else. We don't know where they're going. Maybe they were going to uh, a new place where nobody knew about Jesus and they were going to be doing kind of pioneer missionary work. Or maybe they were going to visit churches that had already been established and help them. Or maybe a bit of both. We don't know. But as was the pattern for those in the New Testament who were engaged in preaching and teaching and missionary work, they weren't salaried. They didn't have a kind of a salary or anything official like that. They relied on God to supply their needs through other Christians and through other Christians as they gave through their local churches. So Paul wanted to make sure that Zenos and Apollos got all the help that they needed as they set off on the next leg of their journey, wherever it was they were going, and to make sure that they had the finances that they would require to live, to be able to just survive, not just survive, but also hopefully thrive. And the way that Paul wanted Titus to provide for their financial needs was to encourage the Christians there in those churches in Crete to support Zenos and Apollos with gifts of money. Paul says this in verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive or literally unfruitful 
lives. In other words, Paul was calling for the members of those churches in Crete that had been started there to work hard in their employment so that they could provide the finances that Zenos and Apollos would need as they went on their way and as they served God. Paul wanted the members of the churches there in Crete to see their work partly as a means of generating finances to support the work of spreading the gospel, the good news about Jesus. That was what Paul was trying to get them to think of, was to think of their work partly as a means of generating the funds needed to further the gospel and to spread it through Zenos and Apollos in particular. The main theme that runs right throughout this letter from Paul to Titus has been God's amazing grace in sending Jesus to die for us. We've reflected on that, haven't we, this morning, the verses Daniel read from us from Ephesians 2 and some of the songs we sung. This amazing grace that that God has poured out upon us so that we can have our sins forgiven, that we could get right with God, that we can have eternal life. And that is grace, that is God's grace, God treating us in a way that we don't deserve to be treated. A brilliant definition of God's grace is this, that you might have seen before. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches given at Christ's expense. God has poured out his riches, not financial riches, but spiritual riches, eternal life, forgiveness, a relationship with God, and so on. God has poured out his riches on us through what Jesus did for us there on the cross. God's grace appeared to us and has come to us in and through Jesus. The way that God has treated us in a way that we don't deserve is by sending Jesus to be our saviour. That's, that's what God's grace is. To, for, for Jesus to come and to die there, the light of the world who was slain by darkness. And we don't deserve that. It's undeserved. It's, it's not, it's not favour from God that we've deserved or earned. It, it's totally a free gift from God. That's what God's grace is. And when we accept God's grace... In other words, when we accept the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come and died and and risen again and has made all this possible for us, then it should not only transform and will only, it it, it will not only transform our identity, how God views us and who we are, but it will also transform our eternal destiny. We have eternal life. We have that great hope of uh, looking and knowing that, that we have eternal life and to be with God forever. And that will also, or should also, transform our behavior. It doesn't just transform our identity and our eternal destiny. It should then transform our behavior. Our behavior right here and now on earth. When we focus on God's grace expressed to us in and through Jesus, when we kind of focus on that, as we've been doing this morning with the bread and the, uh, and the wine, it should transform our lives so that we will then start leading spiritually productive lives and and actually i had no idea joel was going to say this but actually that's what it's all about is by being connected as we focus on god's grace the more we connect with jesus the closer we stay bound to jesus the more his grace amazes us then we will be then we will start living really fruitful lives paul says in verse in verse 14 that we should not live unproductive lives the word is literally unfruitful Instead, we're meant to live spiritually fruitful and spiritually productive lives. In other words, when we think of all that God has done for us in Jesus coming and dying for us, that should just blow us away. It should utterly, utterly blow us away. We should be completely blown away by what God has done for us because it's such amazing grace. And it should transform our behavior then so that as we respond to that grace, as we think about what Jesus has done for us, we think, well, the only thing I can just logically do is then just give my whole life back in response. 
And that includes our finances. I think it was Spurgeon that said, the last thing to be converted is often a man's wallet. When we focus on God's grace, one of the ways that we can and should worship God in response is by giving our finances back to him. And that's what Paul is teaching, amongst other things, in these closing verses of Titus. In response to God's grace, we're being called to devote ourselves, he says repeatedly in this letter, to devote ourselves to doing what is good in order that we might live spiritually productive and spiritually fruitful lives. And that partly means providing for the daily necessities of those who are serving God uh, full-time as church leaders, as church planters, as missionaries, and so on. So God wants us to work hard. Write this on your outline. God wants me, he wants you, he wants us to, to work hard at work so that we can create finance to support those who are serving God full-time and are spreading the gospel around the world, whether that's here or overseas, wherever that might be. God wants us to work hard so that we earn good money so that we're able to bankroll God's kingdom. That is partly what our uh, work is meant to be for. When we're at work and we're having a bad day or a, or a bad week or a bad month, maybe in the bad year, and, and the boss is being a pain and maybe we just really hate our job, it's difficult to think then of our work as being anything other than just a necessary evil, something that I have to do, I've got to pay the bills, I don't really like my job, and so on. But as we read through the Bible, what we see is that one of the aims of our work is that we will generate finance to finance God's work. That is one of the aims, the biblical aims of our work, is that while we're working, we will generate finance to be able to put into God's work. As we focus on God's grace, as we focus on God's riches, lavishly given to us at the expense of Jesus, one of the great ways we can respond to his grace is to give our money back to him for his work. And one of the specific ways we're meant to do that is by providing financial support for those who serve God. I wonder, if you've ever, I wonder if you've ever thought of your work as being a means of generating finance as we try to spread the gospel around the world. Have you ever thought of your work in that way before? Maybe you do, and, that, and that's great. I, I guess for most of us, it's just something we have to do. But it's amazing to lift it up a level and say, actually, part of the purpose, the biblical purpose of my work is this is a means of me generating finance to bankroll God's kingdom and God's work. Working and earning our wages is an opportunity for us to, to be able to further the work of God as the gospel is spread around the world so that more people can hear about God's grace and more people can then respond to God's grace. And if we want those that God has called him to serve him full time, to be able to lead churches and be evangelists and plant new churches and serve as, uh, as missionaries, then we need to play our part in, as what Paul says in verse 13, seeing that they have everything they need and as he says in verse 14, providing for their daily necessities. Now, Jesus taught the same thing back in Luke when he was instructing the uh, people that he'd sent out to preach and teach. He says this, he gives them these instructions. He says, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. The worker deserves his wages. Jesus was teaching here that those who preach the gospel should earn their living from the gospel. And, and Paul elaborates on this concept in 1 Corinthians 9 where he says this, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? 
Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because as the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So we have this principle running right throughout the Bible that those God calls to serve him in a full-time kind of pas- uh, capacity or in a, a kind of part-time role should be financially supported by other believers. And this is exactly what Paul is instructing Titus to pass on to these folks uh, there in the members of the churches in Crete so that they would do this for Zenos and Apollos as they were going off on the next leg of their missionary work and as they served God. But God doesn't want us doing this unless we want to. God doesn't want us being forced or coerced into giving our finances. Whatever a person gives is between them and the Lord. It's a gift that they give to the Lord. They might do that through a church or through an old Christian organization, but it is an act of worship between them and the Lord. And whatever a person gives is totally private and totally confidential between them and God. That's certainly how we operate as a church here. And God wants us to give cheerfully and enthusiastically. He doesn't want us giving reluctantly or grudgingly. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need us to bankroll his kingdom. He, he, wants, us, he wants us to, and he wants, us to, he wants to give us the opportunity to be involved in this great, phenomenal work of spreading the good news. But he doesn't need us. He has survived quite happily without us for many years, and he will continue to do so. But he longs to give us the opportunity to partner with him in this great mission. He doesn't want us being forced to. He wants us to, 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 to do this not for, not for reluctant reasons or for the wrong reasons. God has blessed us beyond our wildest dreams. It's, it's what we call God's grace. And he doesn't want us uh, grudgingly serving him out of a duty mindset. Duty is important, but he doesn't want our duty. God wants our love. God doesn't want our grudging duty. God wants our hearts. He wants our loves. And, and Jesus says, where your heart is is where your or where your wealth is is where your heart is paul says this when he writes to the church in corinth speaking about our giving to god he says this remember this whoever sows sparingly and he's talking now about financial giving whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for god loves a cheerful giver the greek word there literally is translated as hilarious God wants you to be hilariously laughing as you give your finances to him. And if you're not, then don't give it. He wants a cheerful giver, not a reluctant giver. And God is able, Paul says, to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God's grace is truly amazing. And in response to God's grace to us in sending Jesus to come and die for us on the cross so that we can be forgiven, we can have a relationship with God, and receive eternal life God wants us to respond to him by worshiping him giving him our hearts giving him our love and part of that is how we give through our possessions and our finances and our wealth so that we can support the work of God Paul goes on just a few verses later in 2nd Corinthians 9 speaking about 
uh, giving financially to support those who are serving God. He says this, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And this is brilliant. Just don't miss this verse because most of us won't be able to serve God full time. Most of us won't be able to plant churches or become foreign missionaries. But we can play our part in supporting those who are and who do. Wouldn't it be amazing to one day we're, you know, if we're trusted in Jesus and we're there in heaven, we're in eternity, and somebody walks up to you and says, thank you to you. Thank you for being part of me being here in heaven. Thank you for playing a role in my salvation. And you don't know the person, so you look at them and you think, well, I've never met you. I don't recall sharing the gospel with you. I, I, I didn't give you a Bible or anything like that. So you ask them, well, well, how was I involved in your salvation? And then they tell you, well, you supported Lucy Atkins, and Lucy came out and she shared the gospel with me. I'd never heard about Jesus, and I trusted in Jesus. And part of the, the, the way Lucy was able to do that was because you gave some finances to Lucy. Wouldn't that be an amazing experience? And, and I'm sure that will be our experience um, in heaven. Paul says here in these verses, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them. So what does all that look like then and, and, and mean for us today? How do we apply these few closing words of, of Paul to Titus, written 2,000 years ago? How do we today, in response to God's grace to us, make our finances available to those who are serving him full time? Well, we as a church have commended Lucy Atkins to full-time missionary service. And, and part of commending somebody is to commit to supporting them financially. It, it's been great to see that the way that that the members of this church have supported Lucy financially so far. Uh, but Lucy's going to be probably overseas, God willing, for many years to come, perhaps for her whole life. And so can I invite you, can I invite all of us to think about Lucy and, and, and think of Lucy in the same way that Paul was encouraging the members of the churches in Crete to think about Zenos and Apollos. I wonder if you're responding to God's grace by financially supporting Lucy as she has devoted her life, as the Apostle Paul did, to spreading the good news on the islands that God has called her to. We have really great links, don't we, with Andy and Sarah Stewart, not actually commended by this church, but we have uh, great links with them. They're serving the Lord full-time in the Barcelona area, working with children and young people who've never heard about Jesus. I've been out there, seen them, and, and seen what they do, and they're doing a phenomenal work. And they live by faith. They have no salary. They're like Zenos and Apollos. And they rely on people like us and churches like ours supporting them, meeting their daily needs, their daily necessities, providing for them and supporting them. And they're doing an amazing job there in Spain, telling children and young people about the gospel and about God's grace for them. So can I invite you to think about Andy and Sarah and, and think of them in the same way that Paul was encouraging the members of the churches in Crete there to think about Zenos and Apollos. We've got strong links with a number of other missionary organizations that such as Echoes International, which we've mentioned this morning, Glow Europe, SGA, and others, and we regularly have offerings for their work. That's kind of paused a little bit with a practical offerings because of COVID, but we are still regularly supporting them, and, and, and we're looking at trying to reintroduce uh, offerings and so on for them. So can I invite you to think about maybe Echoes and Glow, and, and I, I should have put SGA up there as well, um, but these are organizations that try and support 
Christian workers overseas and all of the funds that you send to Echoes and Glow, for instance, every 100% of that goes directly. They don't keep any of it. They just pass it on to the workers who need that money or that you specify for. Can I in invite you to think about organizations like Echoes, International and Glow and think of them in the same way that Paul was encouraging the members of the churches in Crete to think about Zemus and Apollos. It's been great this morning, hasn't it, to, to hear from Martha uh, and to hear how the Lord has been leading her towards serving the Lord full-time in a part of French-speaking Africa, serving the Lord through her midwifery skills as she seeks to spread the good news about Jesus to people in those situations. Now, Martha didn't know I was going to say uh, any of this uh, or, or what I was going to be saying, so she might be a little bit embarrassed. Um, but as God willing, we as elders explore with Martha, and as a church, we explore that with her, what God is calling her to do. And as we as a church seek to support her and help her fulfill in this calling, that will, that will involve us supporting her financially. Commendation, sending people abroad also involves financial, it involves sacrificial giving. God willing, at some point in the not too distant future, we will need to do what Paul was uh, encouraging the churches in Crete to do, to do everything we can to help Martha the midwife, not Martha the, uh, the lawyer, but Martha the midwife, to, to help her on her way, as Paul writes about Zemus and Apollos, and see that she has everything she needs. And that will involve us devoting ourselves to doing what is good and leading fruitful and productive lives, in other words, working hard at work, generating finances, in order that we might provide for Martha's daily necessities, so that she is able to go, not having to think about that, but being able to go and devote herself solely and focus full-time on serving the Lord full-time there, out in French-speaking Africa. Let's think about that. Let's reflect on that perhaps in the coming weeks and months. For Paul, who wrote this letter to Titus, life was all about Jesus. It was all about spreading the gospel. And, and there was nothing more important to Paul than making sure that other people heard about Jesus and God's grace. He had encountered God's grace, and his life had been utterly turned upside down by it. It had transformed not only his identity and his eternal destiny, but it completely transformed his behavior. He went from being someone who was a murderer and locked Christians up and tried to get them killed to being someone who lived for Jesus and eventually lost his own life in the process. And for Paul, his letters preserved for us in the New Testament were all about trying to encourage every other believer in Jesus to live the same kind of way. Now, we're not all going to be called to do what Paul did or what Martha might do or what Lucy's doing or what Apollos and Zenos were doing, but we can nevertheless, in our own contexts, give everything we have back to God in, in response to God's amazing grace. To, to be amazed by God's grace, to respond to God's grace by giving our all for Jesus, and part of that includes worshipping him by giving our finances back to him as an offering, and, and specifically doing that to help support those who like Zenos and Apollos in the first century in Crete and who today like Lucy and Andy and Sarah and God willing Martha are serving the Lord full time by taking the good news of Jesus, the gospel to people who have yet to accept him and in many cases have yet to even hear about Jesus. Paul closes his letter to Titus with these words. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. God's amazing grace. May we constantly be aware of his grace. That's part of what communion's about, isn't it? It takes us right back to the foot of the cross on a regular basis. 
May we constantly be aware of God's grace to us and may we live our whole lives as a response to his grace. And, and part of that will include our possessions and finances. But let's just take a few moments, just maybe bow our heads and pause and reflect on this whole book of Titus, but, but particularly on these verses we've read today. And, and maybe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. Um, maybe you just need to kind of reflect on, on, what, on what God has been saying to you. If you want to know more about practically kind of getting involved financially with, with supporting foreign mission, then do chat with Paul. He'll, he'll give you all the arrangements for that, of, of how to do that. Paul's our, uh, it looks after our finances here as well as being one of our elders. But if that's something you want to explore, have that conversation with Paul. But let's just pause and, and bow our heads and let's just take a few moments to think and reflect on what the Holy Spirit has been saying to us this morning. Father, when we think about your grace to us, your, the riches of heaven given to us through Jesus, we are amazed because it is amazing grace. And we praise you for that. We thank you. Help us, we pray, Lord. We know we can't earn your grace. It's a free gift from you. But in response, pray that each one of us would look just every day to live lives of worship, lives of surrender, lives that are responding to your grace. I pray that you would be Lord of our finances as well as other parts of our lives. Father, we pray for those that we as a church support in prayer and in letters and emails and texts and, and also, so importantly, through finance. We, Lord, we pray for Lucy this morning. Would you bless her? Would you provide for her? Would you protect her? Would you help her as she spreads the good news there on the islands? Pray for Andy and Sarah in Barcelona. Thank you for the many children and young people that hear the good news of you. Uh, weekly in their various clubs that they're running in that area. Lord, we pray for the organizations that we're linked with. Would you, and the hundreds of Christian workers that are kind of linked with those organizations, would you bless them? Would you further your work around the world through them, we pray. And Father, we pray for Martha again this morning. Would you lead and guide and bless her as she looks to your calling for the future? And help us as a church to get behind your people and give them what they need and serve them in that way and serve you in that way. Lord, we want to just live lives that are a response to your grace. We love you. We thank you for your love to us. We worship you this morning. Amen.